Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Uh, could I get you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, which we'll be looking at this morning. Let's pray as we come to God's Word. Our Heavenly Father, we ask now that as we consider your Word, that you'd help me to explain it clearly. And we pray that you would give us a greater view of who Jesus is, how supreme he is in all things, that we might trust him as our Lord and never move on from him or the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, have you noticed that the more familiar something is, the more often it becomes dull? My son is now four months old and he can stare at a spinning fan for an hour. It fascinates him. Uh, but as he grows up, things will surely change and he'll realise that fans are not that interesting, actually. But the same experience is true in many parts of life. Uh, perhaps the novelty of working from home is starting to wear off. Perhaps the new job is not quite as exciting as, as it used to be. Perhaps that relationship is not as romantic uh, as it started. Or that new computer game is, well, not really that fun as it began. So often what captivates us initially becomes dull and familiar later. And we're tempted then to move on to something else. Now, the same is true of the Christian life. As we, we hear about Jesus again and again and again, it's possible that the simple gospel no longer seems that exciting. Not enough for Christian growth. Not enough for Christian maturity. We start looking for, for the next big thing, something more exciting, something more spiritual, something that promises more results. Well, that is the danger for the Christians at Colossae. Our false teachers have, have crept into the church, telling them that Christ is not enough, that they need something else to be truly mature and blessed in the Christian life. Uh, we'll see next week how they are tempted to move on from the gospel. They're, they're tempted to, to move on to, to spiritual experiences that, that seem more advanced to, to, to angels and visions. Or to move on to a kind of moralistic rule keeping to be more godly. And Paul's aim in this letter for them and for us is to convince us that we do not need human religion or philosophy to grow to Christian maturity. And we do not need spiritual experiences to live out a, a, a complete Christian life. All we need is Christ. All we need to do is cling to the gospel and let it transform us and grow us. Uh, now, to help us to stick with this gospel-shaped Christianity, Paul presents us in Colossians chapter 1 with one of the most glorious descriptions of Christ in all Scripture. Uh, and first he shows us that Christ is the supreme Lord of creation. Christ, the supreme Lord of creation. Verse 15, he says, He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, of all creation. Now, it's a staggering description of Christ. Now, if I was to show you a, a picture of my son, you would know what he looks like, even if you've never met him. And so it is with God. God is invisible. We, we cannot see him. 
But that does not mean that we cannot know him or have a relationship with him. For Christ is the image of the invisible God. If we have seen Christ in the scriptures, we have truly seen God. Christ shows us what God is like, his, his character and his love. But there is more, uh, because we read in Genesis 1 earlier that human beings are made in the image of God. We are created to be like God, ruling over this world he has made. Of course, we failed as image bearers. We, we continually reject God's rule and we make a mess of this world. But Jesus, here we're told, is the image of God. He is the perfect man who, who rules over this universe completely, just as God intended. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is God in, in human flesh, ruling this world, revealing God to us. Well, next in verse 15, we're told that, that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Uh, that doesn't mean that Christ is the first created being. Uh, that was the false teaching of Arius in the early church. Uh, it's the same false teaching that is continued to be believed by Jehovah's Witnesses today. Now, saying Jesus is the firstborn of creation doesn't mean he was created. What it means is that he is the heir. See, in, the, in Bible times, the firstborn male stood to inherit everything from their father. So to say that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation means that all things will be given to him by God to rule. Now verse 16 tells us why. He is the creator of all things. Verse 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. And for him. Now again, isn't that amazing? That Jesus who walked this earth 2,000 years ago was the Jesus who made the universe. Who, who created all things in heaven. The billions of stars, the sun and the moon, the, the universe in, in all of its enormity. And he created visible things. He created Lankawi and Mount Kinabalu. He created the animals and the trees from the smallest of atoms to the most complex of creatures. He created you and me. He created invisible things. He created the angels, the demons, the spiritual rulers of this age. And he did whatever dominion, whatever rule or power, Jesus created it all. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of Lords. And so we must never worship angels or nature or any human being with their human philosophy. They're not gods. We were created by Jesus. Do you see why he created us in verse 16? It says all things were created through him and for him. Sometimes uh, people ask the question, what is the meaning of life? It's a good question. And here we are told the answer. Now, the meaning of life is, is not to do what I want and what makes me happy or makes my parents happy. Life is not about our happiness, but about Christ's glory. We are here to know Jesus, 
to love Jesus, to serve Jesus, to glorify Jesus. All things are created through him and for him. But still there's more. Verse 17 tells us that Jesus is the sustainer of all things. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. In other words, Jesus stands behind everything that happens in this world. Nothing at all is outside his control. The, the reason the earth spins one more day, the, the, the reason we take our next breath, the, the reason that the laws of gravity are still in effect is because Christ is there, sustaining all things. Do you see, Jesus is more than a, a moral teacher or a religious leader. He is the supreme Lord of creation. He is its creator. He is its sustainer. He is its goal. Now, as big as that picture of Jesus is, there's still more. In the second half of the passage, we see that Jesus is not only Lord of creation, he is Lord of salvation as well. And verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. See, Jesus is the head of the church. And that means that not only does, will Christ rule in this present life, but he'll rule in the world to come as well. Right now, we're all too aware that our creation is in a state of decay. That's why there's coronavirus and calamities and other crises. And we know that one day this world will be destroyed when Jesus returns. But not so God's people. See, the church, those who've put their trust in Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, they will have eternal life. They, they, they will be resurrected to, to live with him in a, in a whole new creation. See, so we know that there is life past death. We know that there is, a, is another world that is to come. Because Jesus is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead. See, his resurrection 2,000 years ago guarantees our resurrection at the end. And because he is the firstborn, he stands to inherit that as well. In the new age to come, the new creation. Christ will rule forever and ever over his people. See, so God's plan in verse 18 is that in everything he may be preeminent. That means he will be Lord. He will be supreme. He will be almighty, absolute. Jesus is the supreme Lord of creation because he made it. Jesus is the supreme Lord of the new creation because he died and rose again to save it. And verses 19 and 20 explain to us why Jesus is the Lord of the new creation. Look at verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Notice, again, we have a clear statement of Jesus' divinity. All the fullness of God dwells within him. Everything that can be said about God can be said about Jesus. Creator, yes. Sustainer, yes. Lord, ruler, 
all of it. And so what a remarkable thing it is that the divine Son of God, supreme in all things, might be willing to be born as a man and suffer on a cross. I mean, just, just try to imagine it. The Lord of the universe, nailed to a cross, crucified. Why would God do that? And we're told in verse 20 why. It's to reconcile all things to himself. Verse 20, through him, to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. See, the greatest problem with our world is that we are enemies of God. Humanity lives in rebellion against God, uh, ignoring his, resist his existence, uh, doubting his goodness, rejecting his ways. And so we are at war with God and our world is headed for judgment. But, but here we're told wonderfully that Christ came to reconcile all things to himself. He came to restore everything back under his rightful rule. Whether things on earth like, like human beings... Or, or things in heaven, like spiritual rulers and authorities. He came to reconcile all things to God. Now, Paul explains how the cross achieves all this in chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. You can look it up later. For his people, we're told that the cross means peace with God. Our debts cancelled. Our sins forgiven. And we receive eternal life. But we're also told that the cross means defeat for the enemies of God. See, when Jesus dies on the cross, no more can, can Satan condemn us for our sins. There at the cross, Jesus triumphs over every spiritual rule and, and authority that is opposed to God. And as there at the cross, they are shamed and, and defeated and, and brought once again under Jesus' rightful rule. You see, we can be reconciled to Christ peacefully as we, as we submit to his loving rule. Or else one day we'll be reconciled to him in judgment as he punishes his enemies. Either way, one day every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. All things will be reconciled under his rightful rule. Well, with that in mind, Paul turns to the awesome reconciliation that has happened to those who put their trust in Jesus. Look at verse 21. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Again, notice the human condition. We were once enemies of God. Our hostile minds rejected his rule. And this rebellious attitude expressed itself in all manner of evil deeds. So often in this world, we 
we deal with the symptoms of the human problem. We, we think that if we had the right government or the right education system or the right rules and regulations, then suddenly everyone in the world would stop doing evil. But it doesn't work like that, does it? Because the real problem in this world is the, is the deep-seated sin that lies in our hearts. And that can't be changed by externals. But the cross can. On the cross, Jesus deals with that sin problem so deeply embedded in our minds and hearts. He, he, he takes the punishment that we deserve for our rebellion. He dies there for his enemies that he might make them his people. It is hard to forgive someone who has hurt you. It's even harder to forgive someone who hates you. But here we're reminded that Jesus died for his enemies. He died to reconcile us to God. Such is the love of Christ. And notice what that means for our future. He dies for us, verse 22, in order to present us to himself holy and blameless and above reproach before him. See, because Jesus has, has, has now dealt with all our sins on the cross, we can now face him on the judgment day without fear. We will stand before him holy and blameless. We'll be welcomed into his presence. Not because we're perfect, but because he has paid for all our sins. Brothers and sisters, do you see the power of the gospel turning sinful enemies into God's holy friends? We've seen Jesus is the Lord of creation who, who made us for himself. Jesus is the Lord of, of salvation who loved us so much that he died for us. The question is, is he the Lord of our life? If you're tuning into this online service and you know that he is not, can I urge you, stop looking to, to other things to give you meaning and purpose in life. Stop resisting his rule over you as if it was a bad thing. Stop living as though this world is all there is. Jesus is the Lord of creation. He's your creator. Jesus is the Lord of salvation. He gave his life to reconcile you to God. Will you let him be your Lord and Saviour? Well, if you have, praise God. But don't ever move on from the gospel. Now, do you see Paul's final plea there in verse 23? If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Do you see, if your, if your view of Christ is not big enough, then we will be tempted to move on from Christ and the gospel to something else. 
Now, the Colossians, they were being tempted to move on to a religion of performance. They were being told, if you, if you want to be a truly mature Christian, then follow these rules. Perhaps they'd say to us today, you know, make sure you tithe. Make sure you have a quiet time. Make sure you go to church and serve in a ministry. Be a good Christian. You'll be a mature Christian. It sounds spiritual, but it's actually a denial of the gospel. Then the Colossians were being tempted to, to move on to a religion of spiritual experiences. They were being told, yes, believe in Jesus, but, but if you want to be really spiritual, then make sure you focus on those angels and visions. Perhaps someone might say to us today, it's great that you believe in Jesus, but you need to live a spirit-filled Christian life. You need to experience healings and, and miracles and, and be led into the very presence of God with, with this worship experience. It sounds spiritual, but it's actually a denial of the gospel. See, we do not need religious performance to be a mature Christian. We do not need spiritual experiences to be a spiritual Christian. All we need is Jesus. And there are many churches that will talk all day about healings and prosperity and worship and, and mission and prayer. But they will never mention the gospel. They will never dwell on how Jesus died on that cross to save us. They won't reflect on his resurrection as the Lord of their life. Now, Jesus and the Gospels, no longer the central focus, is being replaced by something else, perhaps our worldly desires. Friends, we must never move on from the Gospel we need to be captivated again and again by that glorious good news that Christ died as our Saviour and was raised as our Lord. For that gospel, verse 23, is the gospel that was proclaimed to, to, to the very ends of the earth. And it's only that gospel that can save us. Well, have you begun to grow dull? To the gospel of Christ? Have you begun focusing on uh, perfor religious performance or spiritual experiences instead of Him? If you have, gaze once again at the Lord Jesus Christ. Consider His Lordship. Consider again His cross. Consider again the glorious reconciliation that he has won for you. And let that gospel transform you from the inside out. So that Christ reigns supreme in every part of your life. Lord over your studies. Lord over your work. Lord over your family. Lord over your priorities and your ambitions. Because you are so captivated by him that in every part of life, you want to bring glory to his name. See, that is our purpose in life.
to honour and glorify Christ. That is why we were made. That is why we were saved. So don't ever lose your wonder of who Jesus is. And don't ever shift from his glorious gospel. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this glorious picture of who Jesus is. Supreme in creation. The creator of all things. The sustainer of all things. Supreme in salvation. The head of the church. The ruler of the age to come. Lord, we thank you for his death that he died on the cross to reconcile all things to you. We thank you that we can now be no longer your enemies, but be your people, to be at peace with you. Lord, help us to be captivated again by who Jesus is, that we may have heard this message again and again. Help us to look afresh at how wonderful Jesus is, so that we will never move on from him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.